Today's show is brought to you by Gamefly.com. Sign up for a free premium 30-day trial specifically for the listeners of Geekspace 9 at the URL GameflyOffer.com slash GS9. Again, that is GameflyOffer.com slash the letter G, the letter S, and the number 9. Hello and welcome to Geek Space 9, the Tuscan Shed Media Network podcast where we discover and or rediscover the classic Star Trek series Deep Space 9. With me as always returning from a major voyage is Sarah Becker. How are you, Sarah? Very well. Thank you, Ben. I just got back from my trip to Africa, which was very exciting. Uh but I think 2 weeks is about my limit for a holiday. I was starting to get ready to come home. Oh. We missed you. Yes, the I miss y'all too. Have, there'll and be no cat. break for our users, but uh, it was a break for us, and it was devastating. Just devastating. <laughs> and with this as well is Peter Dancy. How are you, Peter? I'm good. Um, my brother is close to being. My, my brother's close to getting his permit, so the roads Ooh. are about to get Ooh. a little more crowded. And I don't. And I'm just like, why? Why? But then in a year when he has his license, you're like, you go somewhere. Right. Like, I'm not dragging your ass yeah, I, I won't have to be his unofficial chauffeur. Right. I would just have, I would just have to be willing to relinquish, to relinquish my keys to him. Yes. <sighs> that is also That is terrifying. a whole nother story. Well, this week we saw season three, episode 23 and episode 24, which is Family Business and Shikar. So first up is Family Business. A busy night at Quark's is interrupted when a man named Brunt, who works for the Ferengi Commerce Authority, a.k.a. the Ferengi IRS, comes in to audit Quark. After some latinum persuasion, Brunt informs Quark that he is being served a writ of accountability for failure to supervise a family member. It turns out Quark and Rom's mother, Ishka, has been doing the worst thing imaginable, acquiring profits as a female. As the older male, Quark is required to convince Ishka to confess and turn over all the profits she had made, or else he will have to pay back the damage himself. Angrily, Quark leaves for home and Rom follows. There, Quark, Rom, and Brunt are shocked to discover that Ishka wears clothes and talks to Brunt with disdain. Brunt gives Quark three days to get everything in order or else pay the consequences. Rom is happy to be home while Quark treats his mother with frustration. Over dinner, Ishka admits she only made a few measly strips of latinum investing the stipend Quark sends her each month. She refuses to admit wrongdoing, and Quark storms off. Ishka and Rom share a tender moment. He wants her to just give up the profits to stop fighting, but she admits it's a matter of pride. Rom leaves to find Quark has done more digging, and it turns out Ishka has made a lot more profit than she admitted. So much, in fact, that Quark could never pay back all of it. Quark confronts Ishka, who claims Quark only cares because she is better at acquiring profit than him or his father. Quark storms off to turn her into the FCA, but Rom catches him in time to say that Ishka has agreed to share her profits with Quark 50-50. However, when they get back, Rom reveals he parent-trapped those fools, and he locks them away to solve their differences. Ishka agrees to sign the confession and give back the money in order to repair her relationship. She gives over the money to Brunt, 
But after Cork leaves, she reveals to Rom she only gave over a third of her profits. Meanwhile, on DS9, everyone on board is pressuring Cisco to meet Cassidy Yates, the woman Jake wants to set Benjamin up with. Eventually, Cisco relents and meets her. They have an awkward conversation, but Cisco becomes very excited when Yates reveals her brother plays for a baseball team on Cetus 3, where the sport is having a revival. Excited, Cisco decides to travel with her to see it, and Jake watches happily on the promenade as they leave together. What do we think of family business? I loved everything about this I, episode. Yeah. I was just going to say the same thing. <laughs> like, I guess I didn't love it with you guys, but it was a very nice episode for sure. But I want to hear from you guys. What? What? Why did you love it, Peter? Go ahead. Like, like from from the moment we met, the, the moment we met Ishka, I was like, I love this woman. She is a badass. She is like she's wearing clothes. She is acquiring profits. She is talking directly to the men. Turns out, turns out, not only has she gotten profits, but she's gotten like more than a metric fuck ton of profits. And it's like I love that reveal, right? <laughs> reveal that she's like a fucking secret uh, underground badass, right? Thing. That was pretty crazy. And, the, and, the, and then at the, and then at the end, and then at the end when she tells Rom, she's like, "Yeah, I just gave them a third so that they so that they would calm down." It's like, oh my god, how it's like, it's like if they were okay with getting a third of her profits, and but like you know, but of course they don't know that. How much did she have? Hmm. Sarah, you feel the same way? I absolutely do. I, uh, I I love this sort of, you know, feminist revolution that seems to be happening among the Ferengi. Yeah. You know, first we had that woman who was masquerading as a male Ferengi who, you know, Quark almost had a thing with. And now we've got Ishka who's just making profits out the wazoo and wearing clothes of all things. I uh, I really hope that this is a trend in Deep Space Nine that we continue to see, you know, the rise of the, you know, Ferengi woman in society. Yeah, I think in that episode, the the one with the, uh, which the name escapes me in that episode, but the one with the uh, woman who's pretending to be a male Ferengi, we mentioned yeah, yeah, yeah. how interesting it would be if there would be more Sort of developments in this field and it's nice to see that we were right there are going to be yes. a continuing storyline about women becoming more and more important in Ferengi society or at least challenging the idea of Ferengi society I also really love the the B plot as you know as small as it was with uh, Cisco finally meeting Cassidy Yates, yeah. who, you know, Jake was so interested to introduce him to. And, you know, the moment she said the word baseball, I was like, oh, he's going to fall in love. It's going to happen. <laughs> right? That's and, it. And you They're knew, together forever. And you knew that Jake knew that. He was just waiting for that one moment because when they walk off and you just see Jake and he's like, yeah, that's right. I did that. What's up? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I know what's up. <laughs> Yeah, I also, there's just a really wonderful running joke where everyone knows that he's supposed to meet this woman, and there's a really cute moment with O'Brien, Odo, and I think Bashir, and they're all, like, at a door trying to fix something, and then he's just like, does anybody on the station not know? And they're like, I think two ensigns don't know, but that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> I just love that uh, everyone loves Cisco, and they all want to help him out, which I think is so cute. Yes. And, uh, He's one of those guys you have to kind of push into meeting someone. I I know it's as a matchmaker. Occasionally, I'm like, oh, I understand. 
I understand the pain of being like they're perfect. Yeah. Let's go meet them. I and, and for and for and for me as some as for for me as some, as someone who was on the other side on the on the other side as as a as a guy who as a guy who who fr- who different friends try to like mat- guys try to like match up or or at least get me out of my shell to like simply walk up and and just say hi. It's like it's like even then I I can understand where I can understand Cisco where he's like how does everyone know this already? I thought it was just my son who told me and everyone else was just like no we're we're kind of waiting for it to happen too now we're just watching yeah and i think uh once again we see that the show has really good guest stars uh this one in particular had three she guest stars well first off jeffrey combs who uh as i mentioned plays a lot of different uh alien characters he was the guy who wanted the hollow sweet program with kira mm, yeah. a few episodes yeah. back and he was brunt in this episode uh, okay okay so cool. he always yeah he's gonna keep showing up and then of course uh uh, Ishka is played by Andrea Martin, who is from uh, Vula from My Big Fat Greek Wedding and major Tony nominee and has been in tons of cartoon shows. Just an awesome actress. And then uh, Penny Johnson played Cassidy Yates, who people would recognize as the wife of the president in 24. And I recognize her from uh, Larry Sanders show where she's fucking hilarious in that show. She's really? So funny. So uh, when I watch, it was nice. It's like, damn, they got some really good people in this show. I think. I think I guess I just assumed the show was a lot more of a cult hit than it was, you know? It certainly wasn't as popular as The Next Generation, but they didn't fuck around with their guest stars, and I appreciate that. And it's impressive they can get someone like Andrea Martin to be like, you have to wear these giant lobes and pretend to be naked. <laughs> it's like, are you okay <laughs> with that? This weird fucking like, yeah, alien character. Yeah. Which I think is people That was the, the most awkward scene. Oh my god! Yes. Oh, naked Ferengi. Yeah. <laughs> and how? And how? And how? Like the second she dropped her, like she, she dropped her robe, they were just like, "Okay, now we're good." And you're just like, "Wait, this is what?" Like, uh, I mean, it's like <laughs> I, I understand that it's a culture thing and all, and yeah, that's the what they're used to. But for us, of course, we're just like this. Is yeah, I think you just the have entire to, opposite would be true. Yeah, I feel like you have to kind of view it as the opposite, where your yeah. mom just is like, "I'm sorry, I don't wear bras anymore. Like they're restrictive, and I think they're offensive, or whatever." And you're like, "But can you just like not be naked, mom? Because it's weird, you know." <laughs> it's like it's. I think you just have to view oh. it as the reverse. But it was very funny when she took off her clothes and then sharpened Rom's teeth. Very cute. oh god. <laughs> It was cute yeah. to see Rom as a little bit of a mama's boy. It was very heavily, very heavily implied, or maybe even directly stated. I don't really remember, but um, uh, Quark and Rom's father wasn't very good at business. Apparently, we have learned, and so that makes me think Ishka's been pulling the strings the whole time. Yeah, that was an interesting thing she said about that. His father wasn't a big success, like Quark thought he was. And- that she sort of taught him the rules of acquisition, and it seems mm-hmm. like very much she kind of made the cork we know and hate today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is, like you said, very interesting that they they sort of bring that up, and I wonder if there will be more of cork coming to understand that his mom was more important in his life than he gave her credit for all these years. Yeah, I Indeed. hope so. I also just like to enjoy watching the Ferengi customs where everything is bought and paid for, where uh, Cork goes to wait at the FCA and he has to sit down and he looks at the guy and he's like, how much is the chair? He's like, $3, uh-huh. three strips of platinum. 
I'll give you two. Okay. <laughs> right. Like, every, like everything like is a barter. Everything is bought and sold in some form or fashion. Even yeah, even sim- even even simply saying, yeah, he's in his office. Yeah, like the guy doesn't even tell him what he's accused of until he gives him like money. <laughs> like <laughs> that's just how it works. And they they even have like a special box in their home for visitors. It's like culturally expected to, you know, give people money for inviting them into your house. Right, and then there's like this Ferengi custom thing where like Brunt had to basically be like, "I know I'm in your house now, so I won't steal your stuff." Like has to like, verbally state it. Like I for, I for yeah. like for us, if we if we go to a person's house, like for a party or something, you know, bring wine for the Ferengi for the Ferengi. Literally, bring money and give it to me. I am yep. allowing yep. you into my house. <laughs> uh, always, always love learning about, you know, the customs of alien cultures, fictional though they may be. Yeah, I, I think they took time to actually explore what the how the free operates. It's very much changed from, as I've said before, the TNG era, where it's like, I always hate alien cultures where they don't make sense and how they can possibly function on a regular day-to-day basis my classic example being uh reavers from firefly and serenity where it's Mm -hmm. like how do they pilot ships and like reload spike cannons yeah like they're they're crazy monsters shouldn't they just be like just on the planet how do they refuel and like get into ships and eat and you know like things like that where it's like if you start to think about them for too long it just doesn't add up totally breaks down and he just kind of loses yeah and actually i actually never thought about that before with the reavers damn it ben <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> but i think the ferengi were like that too where it's like if they're this fucking shitty and and profit margin how do they ever like become a spacefaring society anyways and now it's like, eh, it actually kind of makes sense that they're mm-hmm. th- they do sort of work for a common good while also being completely backstabbing and <laughs> untrustworthy at the same time was well, there anything else to say for family business? Uh, not yeah, for no, me. Not. Well, I mean, other other than just like, definitely want to see where it goes with Cisco and Cassidy, which of course will happen. But like, now I really want to know where it goes, and I really hope we see more Vishka because we need more of her. Yeah, she was awesome. Agreed. For you, the listeners of Geek Space 9, Gamefly is offering a premium free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. And you guys, if you are gamers out there, and I'm sure if you listen to Star Trek, you very well could be a gamer, you guys have to check out Gamefly.com. They have over 8,000 new releases and classics available to rent for Xbox One, PS4, Wii U, and a lot of older systems as well. And get this. You can have any console game or handheld game delivered directly to your mailbox that you get to have as long as you want. And I don't know about you guys, but if you've gone to the game store lately and bought a new AAA game, you'll find out that things are pretty dang expensive. And you could be $60 in a hole of a game you don't even like, whereas in Gamefly, you can just send that bad boy back, get a new one in, and keep that one as long as you like. There are never any due dates or late fees. And get this, now Gamefly actually lets you rent Blu-ray and DVD movies as too. So if you're a nerd like me and still get your movies in the mail the old-fashioned way, old-fashioned as in 2005, then you're going to love Gamefly.com. 
Plans start with one disc a month for $15.95, but as mentioned before, you can get a free 30-day trial by going to GameFlyOffer.com GS9. Again, that's GameFlyOffer.com the letter G, the letter S, and the number 9 for your free 30-day trial. Next episode is Season 3, Episode 24, which is Shakar. In this episode, we open with Kira praying for the soul of Boreal when Sisko shows up to inform her of the bad news, that the first minister of the Bajoran Provisional Government has died of natural causes, and Kai Win is taking his place as the interim oh, leader yeah. until an election is held. Indeed. Popular opinion is that Wynne will become the minister if the in the election, as she claims she was the one who brokered peace with the Cardassians, while we know it was really Boreal who did most of the work. Much to Kira's surprise, Wynne arrives on the station to give Kira a task. A group of farmers were given soil reclamators, devices that make farmland more fertile, and Kira and Wynne wants them to be transferred to a different province, so profitable crops can be regrown to restart the Bajoran economy. Wynne asks Kira to go talk to the leader of the farmers, because the leader is Shakar, who was Kira's former mentor and leader of her resistance cell during the occupation. Kira agrees and visits Shakar, who has been farming, along with many of Kira's former resistance fighters. After reliving the glory days, Shakar tells Kira that he needs the reclamators. They had been waiting for them for three years and were told that they could use them for a full year. But now Wynne wants to take them away, and the village may starve because of it. Kira goes to Wynne to set up a meeting with Shakar, to which Wynne agrees. However, when Kira returns, armed guards inform her that Wynne has ordered Shakar to be arrested, and the reclamators be taken by force. Kira and Shakar escape, and Kira agrees to help the villagers fight off the government forces. Using their former resistance training, the group managed to evade the forces for a while. Sisko meets with Wynne, who demands the Federation send forces to help, or else they will withdraw from the Federation. Wynne reveals that she will not rest until Shakar is captured, as she will not tolerate insurrection. After running for a while, the group decide to ambush their attackers. They corner them in a canyon, but while Kira and Shakar set their sights on the leader, they realize that they are led by Linaris, a hero of the Bajoran Rebellion. Unable to kill their own, Linaris and Shakar meet and agree that they did not fight the Cardassians to then kill each other. They manage to work together, and Linaris takes Kira and Shakar back to Wynne. They reveal that Shakar will run for First Minister, and they expect Wynne to not run, or else they will reveal she almost started a civil war over farming equipment. Wynne retreats and gives her support to Shakar, who is expected to win the election in a landslide. Meanwhile, on the station, O'Brien has had an incredible winning streak of darts, much to the delight of Quark, who has been collecting 15 to 1 odds. O'Brien states that he is in the zone and just cannot lose. Quark tries his best to keep O'Brien out of dangerous situations like his kayaking hola program. However, during a match with a Vulcan, O'Brien reaches for a drink from Quark and tears his rotator cuff, requiring immediate surgery and causing Quark to lose quite a bit of money. After surgery, O'Brien throws a dart totally off the board and knows he is now out of the zone. He hands the darts to Bashir, who throws a perfect bullseye. Seeing this, Quark welcomes Bashir to the zone. What do we think of Shakar? Love the Bajoran bits, hated the B plot with the darts. I thought it was stupid. It was so dumb. They basically needed something to, to fill up the extra 10 minutes. That's about it. Yeah, I feel like 
I feel like you're right, Peter, that they edited it all together. I'm like, yeah, it's 35 minutes. Um, darts, <laughs> I guess. Like, like I, yeah, I, I think I would have, I think I would have even been a, at least a little more satisfied with that B plot if, if they had made the reason for the whole the zone thing. Like, 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 like if, if there had been a couple of shots where you would have to pause it and see in the background that Q was there, then I'd be like, okay. <laughs> This is like semi clever, but not really. But I'll take it because why? The, because why not? Something. <laughs> it's just something, at least. Yeah. For me, it was that I was sure that O'Brien was faking tearing his rotator cuff, and that was all going to play out in some oh, really comical yeah. way. But no, he just reached behind him, tore his. Can you even tear your rotator cuff from so simple an action? I mean, maybe you're a little older. Apparently maybe you can. Yeah. I mean, I guess, that the nurse I, mom I don't know. It just I, I guess after really a point, silly. but like not like that. Yeah, the only thing I'll say that I liked is that I did like there was a callback to uh, TNG, which I just happened to watch the TNG episode Transfigurations, which has, mm. also has uh, O'Brien doing the kayaking program, and he breaks his shoulder. Oh my god! And uh, and. Yeah, O'Brien and so when Cork goes like no, yeah consistently been very bad at this kayaking program and has hurt himself more than just the one time but other than that yeah it was a a very silly silly side plot for a very serious episode (laughs) i think this is we've had in the past uh dumb side plots for intense episodes but this might be one of the bigger ones where it was like i'm sitting here having all these trump flashbacks and and then all of a sudden it's like oh i'm in the zone (laughs) Mm mm-hmm so anyways, let's get to the actual episode itself. What do you think of the main plot? Suck it, Kai Wen. That's right. Oh my <laughs> god, I was so pissed when when I was like, yeah, Kai Wen now has this position. She she is now she is now going to be first minister of the Bajoran provisional oh, government. No. I was just like, I, how dare you? I thought of that uh I thought of that famous moment in uh, Breaking Bad. She can't keep getting away with it. You exactly. Know, like, she just can't keep winning. It's not fair. And it's like, and it's like because because of everything she's done in the past, like like you you know that this is just another instance of her using people that she sees as pawns in order to get her way. So that way she is not the first to blame. It's more of just like I was just here. I happened to be in yeah. the room. Mm-hmm. I had nothing to do with it, even though I totally know this person and I've known them for I've known them for such and such long, and I have this kind of relationship with them. But I had nothing to do with this, and it's like just ah uh, rage. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I think, like I said, I think she's the Dolores Umbridge of the show. Yeah, very much. <laughs> like there are the uh, the more obvious bad guys of the Dominion and and uh, the. Cardassians and they're easy to hate but there's just there's just something very relatable about Kai Wen being this person who just is the total opportunist and just manages to squirm away every single fucking time where it's just like every single time she manages to just just barely like escape and somehow end up kind of better off than she was before so it was nice for this one episode to finally be like you don't get this too you don't get to be the first minister also like it it's unfortunate she wasn't arrested and taken into custody and lost forever, but it's how it happens. At the very mm. least, she's not in charge of all Bajorans. She's just the Pope still. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of the, the main plot, Sarah? Oh, I thought it was very good, and I really liked how she was sort of 
thwarted just by, you know, regular people coming together and saying, no, we're not going to kill each other. Yeah, that's, that was, that's what I meant. It was with great, the, the, very the, effective. I think it's what I meant with the, the Trump thing, where it's like right now I'm having this very big thing where there was these, um, when, I, when we're recording this, there there's all, been all these town hall meetings. And it's been very interesting to see all these regular people be like, I don't agree with you. <laughs> like, listen to yeah. me. We don't agree with you. We voted for you and we don't agree with you at all. And them trying to say that they're all paid protesters and the like, and that's a different matter. But it's it's a interesting and good reminder that often the group can become more than the demagogue itself. And I thought that was really awesome to see. And it's just also a really interesting way to talk about how these conflicts can start. There was just like a really cool moment where Shakar and Lenars were talking and one of Lenars's people just freaks out and shoots at them. And then like you think it's about to blow up, but they manage to like, you know, yell at the guy and get him out of the place and just barely manage to keep each other from all shooting at each other. Like it, it's a reminder of how tense these things can be. And right. I thought that was really well done. Yeah, because like Lenaris mm-hmm. and Shakar immediately like were just like, Don't shoot. It was just one guy, he's flipping out, and then everyone just looks at him like, dude, what the fuck? We were talking. Yeah. <laughs> it was totally civil. Yeah. And and so I agree. I think it's what appealed to me. And also, it's just really cool to learn more about Kira's resistance days. is very interesting. I, uh, oh yeah. I in particular really enjoyed uh, uh, Furl, who's the guy with one arm, and he oh, told yeah. really. I, I really enjoyed him. his story, where he basically told the story about how uh, he lost his arm during the Bajoran War, and it could easily get a new one, but it sort of reminded him of the sacrifices him and other people made, and it just sort of felt like. He said, like, you know, I got my life at the price of one arm, and it feels like it would be spitting in the face of the profits to get it back in any way. Yeah, I really respected that. That was that was cool. Yeah, what do you think, just in general, of, of Shakar and the, uh, the Resistance people in this episode? They're just trying to be regular people. Right, like, they're literally just trying to rebuild, like, rebuild a life after, after being rebels for so long. Like, that's just, that's all they're trying to do. Yeah, there's just a really nice sort of salt of the earth storyline. And I thought it was very interesting that they, they're they all a little older. And when they go back to the resistance, they're like, oh, how do we ever do this? Like, they're just, mm. they're a lot, lot, most of them are a lot older than Kira and like more in like their 40s and 50s now. Just like been a long time since they had to go fight the Bajorans and they just want to be farmers and live simple lives. Fight the Cardassians. Yes, sorry. Um, but yes, uh, I will say I did find Shakar a very interesting character himself. I mean, the other people weren't interesting. Do you agree with that or not? Yeah, I do I agree. agree. Who is made more interesting? But uh, as, as it is, as it is in 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 different uh, TV shows and movies and whatnot, he was made more interesting by the characters around him. Like, like, like thinking about it now, I would I would compare. I would compare Shakar, at least off the top of my head, to uh, the main character for, for Final Fantasy XV, um, Noctis. He he himself is honestly rather dull and very and very and very much a Mary Sue esque type of character. But he is made yeah. infinitely more entertaining by his group of friends and by literally everyone else that he meets. But 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 him by himself, he is just a dull, dull 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 person to look at. Yeah, I was glad. It- didn't seem like there was any hint of past romantic relationship with Kira, which is what I was worried when they yeah. Yeah. him in the beginning where it's like, oh, he's a Bajoran dude who's like a leader and we know 
Kira likes that. So I was like, uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to do this episode. <laughs> I, like that. I, mean, I don't want to do that. that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and not... it like it began and ended with her at that little you know altar for Beryl and yes. Do you want to mm-hmm. talk about the ending there? Yeah, you, you were in particular, Sarah, have been upset that she hasn't mourned a lot. So was it nice for you to see her actually mourning Beryl? Yes, I'm glad that they really did touch on that. And the, at the very, I think the very last scene was her sort of blowing out the flame, which I guess in a way represents you know her grief. Or her her state of mourning for Beryl. And, you know, that was a nice, clear way to show she has been dealing with this for a while. Uh, she's she's done the grieving and everything, but now she has dealt with it and she's ready to move on. I really appreciated that very clear indicator. Yeah, it was it was nice that and if it's in a sense a retcon that they show that she has been grieving this entire time, but also yeah. that we only, we get just a nice one-off episode, which is nice about that, where it's like, she clearly still cares for Brile and is sad about his passing, but, uh, but she's also not going to be hung up on him forever, you know? Um, right. So yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I still wish there was maybe an episode or two dealing with that, but just is the nature of these serialized programs, you know, but I think it works at least for Kira's character because she, we saw in the episode where Beryl, when he died for the first time, right, yeah, that she was like, she went right back to work and tried her best to hide her emotions. Like it is sort of in her character to be focused on work and, and have her private life be only in her private area, you know, and, and it's nice to know that in her like time when she's by herself, she's very still remembering Beryl in her own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, showing the grieving process is important, both for the characters and the fans. Yeah, yeah I mean, like I said, with uh, with iZombie, I'm still mad at that show that they just kind of shrugged off that this uh, one of the main characters murdered the main character's boyfriend. And, like, they clearly keep this character around because it's like Spike, where he's just way too fun as a villain mm-hmm. to, like, ever get rid of him. But it's also, like... He murdered one of my favorite characters. And like, yeah. Nobody it seems sucks, to care. Doesn't it? Yeah. And no one cares. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> uh, welcome back to the 100 rant podcast. It never ends. <laughs> <laughs> I have to mention it once every episode. I gotta. Uh, I feel 50 like that's our... weeks later, and I'm still mad. <laughs> I feel like that's our center square of our bingo card. It's like Kira rants. <laughs> I called you Kira, by the way. Or Sarah rants. Yes! About, uh... <laughs> Sarah rants about about the 100, lo- loving Garrick, hating hating Kai Wen. That's yeah. it. That's that's me on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Where was this filmed? Was it just like in, you know, hmm. the mountains of Southern California or... I- I would imagine so. It, it definitely sort of looks like the oh wait no, uh, no California no, area. Yeah, I'm looking at Memory Alpha. Uh, the ex- the exteriors in this episode were shot in Bronson Canyon. Ah, there you go. Oh. Yep, that's uh, yep. That is classic Star Trek area right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, Bronson Cave is uh, one of the most famous uh, sort of Hollywood landmarks, and uh, where the Bat Cave was in the original Batman TV series and oh. stuff like that. And I believe that the famous like ridge, that's, the rock that's kind of pointing straight up that you see in a million Star Trek things, that's also in Bronson Canyon. So okay. it's a classic Star Trek area. We own this canyon. Interesting. 
They really do. <laughs> yes. There's a good map. Uh, I don't know. I'll have to find it at some point. And if I'm good, if I'm a, being a good producer, I'll post it in the notes of the show. But there's a really interesting map that someone made in the 20s where they were like, here's all the places around Los Angeles that you can film for different areas. And so it's like you can go to Bronson Canyon and it looks like the mountains. And you can go here and it looks like Italy. And you go here, it looks like this. And it's sort of an interesting way of a way old Hollywood sort of try to hide where they were shooting because they didn't want to go on location outside of Los Angeles. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's always nice when they do actually go on location just from a viewing standpoint, but I get it. Yeah. That saves lots and lots of money and time. <laughs> well, that was, that's the thing with Deep Space Nine, I think, was it was always a, they always did good about keeping the cost low. You know, you have your one major sets that you always come back to and, because of that, I think then later on they can have really expensive fight scenes and CGI and stuff like that, you know. All right. Well, I think that does it for our episode this week, unless you have anything else to say. No, I'm, I'm good. good. Cool. Well, that has been our episode. Next week we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 25, and Episode 26, which will be Facets, and the season finale, The Adversary. And, of course, we will have our Season 3 wrap-up. As always, I want to thank my lovely co-hosts for joining me every week on this journey. Our theme song is by Captain Meatshield. You can check him out on Twitter at cptn underscore meatshield. We are a part of the Tuscan Shed Media Network. You can see more of our shows at TuscanShed.com. If you like this show, like, subscribe, rate, and review it any way that you can. It does help us find new listeners. Until next time, this is the crew of Geek Space Nine, signing off. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs>